I'm just going to pick out three verses that really stood out to me this week as I read through it. And I think that's an interesting way of reading your Bible is to read large chunks out loud all at once and then just let that sink in. One thing we do that I don't like is we read with our finger on our pulse trying to see if we're feeling something or is something happening. Did I have my emotional connection time with the Lord today? I must not be a good enough Christian today because when I read the Bible, I just read the Bible and it was truth and I heard it and then I said, thank God for that. Maybe a few things stood out. I circled them or I wrote them down in my journal. And, but I didn't have this, oh, something must be wrong with me. That's not helpful at all. Be okay letting the Bible be normal everyday stuff. Just let it be normal everyday stuff. Let it not be a big emotional thing. You get what I'm saying? But this week I was reading it and three verses stood out and I'm going to share them with you. The first one that stood out was, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Now, admittedly, he's not just limiting himself to biological children in this verse, is he? He's talking about other people whom he has led to the Lord and he is a spiritual parent of. But I promise you, this verse is on a lot of people's walls because parents who love Jesus have no greater joy than when our children are walking with Jesus. We feel this deep in our bones, don't we? Deep in our bones. We want our kids to grow up, get a good job. We want them, we pray for them to find a good spouse. We hope things go well for them. We want them to be physically healthy. We'd like for them to live a long life. We really care if they're thriving. But honestly, at the end of the day, the thing that matters more to us by like a long shot than anything else is, are they walking with knowing Jesus? This matters more. And because this matters most to us, we would not make sense to the world because we would say, look, okay, if given the choice between our kids have their dream job and they're fulfilled in their career and Jesus, we pick Jesus, we'd rather have them work for Jesus and work at a factory at a job they hate that's soul-destroying. We would rather they know Jesus. Amen. We would rather they know Jesus than be a millionaire who invents some piece of technology that influences 400 years of human civilization to come. We would rather them be a nobody from nowhere who never made a dent in human history but who loved Jesus than to be like, you know, the inventor of the iPhone. We would, we would honestly rather them die at age 18, having burned brightly for Jesus, than live out their days in peace and security until 96 years old. We would rather, if we had to make the choice. Because we know that if they know Jesus and they love Jesus, their future is eternal and is bright. That death is not the second death. It's not permanent but that they're immediately upgraded to -to face-to-face with the Lord in glory. But if they don't know Jesus, if they hate him, if they live their own way, if pride and self and the flesh and the things of the world just rule over their heart, we know that if they die then, they're not only cut off from Christ forever, they're cut off from the saints forever. That if we lose their soul, we lose them forever. One of the things that makes heaven so sweet is not just that it's not hell, The thing that makes it the sweetest is that Jesus is there, but the thing that makes it second sweet, right, is that the people you treasure are there. Paul says, I have no greater joy. What does that mean? That means his own salvation 
the joy of your salvation is supposed to be a fundamental, uh, constant, ever, never running out spring of, of hope and joy and peace in your life. Your own salvation is something you return to in hard times and in good times. It's something you never go away from. It's something that's so foundational to, the, your, to your spiritual life that every day you're supposed to fellowship with the gospel in the glory of your own salvation. And Paul says there's something more. There's something that brings him more joy than just his own salvation. And it's other people's salvation. Isn't that amazing? In fact, he says in Romans chapter nine, I tell you the truth, my conscience isn't lying. I have ceaseless anguish in my heart every day for my Jewish brethren who have rejected Jesus. I wish I could be cut off for Christ if it would mean that they would get saved. There's, and he says to the Philippians, make my joy complete by lining your hearts and faith up with each other in God. Make my joy complete. We have, like it's an eternal fountain of our own joy is our salvation. But 3 John says, we have no greater joy than this. Not just in our salvation. It's, we have no greater joy than our children walk in truth. Which means the opposite is the truth as well, isn't it? There's a lot of verses you can flip them. And they're also true. Which means I have no greater sorrow than to know that my children walk in deception. There's no greater heartbreak than to know the people you love are missing Jesus. Okay, that's the first verse, and it's precious. Now, that, that's our deep desire, right? So then we pin it on the, on the board. Stan made us say on a Wednesday night recently, he said, what do you want for your family? What do you want for your church? And what do you want for yourself? Write those prayers out. Then he said, well, he told us to write them out and pin them up so we can see them, put the date, because we're going to be pressing in to pray for God's will for those three things. Those are like the most important things to us and see if we can line up with what what God wants on them. So I did that. I typed mine up because my handwriting, I typed mine up and I put them on the wall. And I realized that as I start to pray for these things, it doesn't make sense to pray for something, but then not also live in a way that is consistent with the prayer, right? It, it, if it's just a wish or a desire, that's, that's, not a, that's not enough. So it's one thing to say, it's my, I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth, but that's a wish. And a wish is not a goal, and a goal is not a plan. Every wish needs to become a goal, and every goal needs a plan, and every plan doesn't mean anything unless there's action taken. So what does it mean then for me as someone who says, it's my, I have no, no greater joy and therefore no greater sorrow, no greater joy than if my children walk in truth and no greater sorrow than if they don't. And I can just tell you right now, I, I need to change some stuff because it's not complicated. Most things in life that are most important aren't complicated. We're not confused about what to do and we don't need to read another book. We need to do one or two simple things that are very inconvenient and we just don't want to do. It's like, How do you lose weight? Well, you burn more calories than you ingest. It really is that simple. You know, it's not even complicated. It doesn't mean it's easy. And I know what I need to do if I want this to happen. It's two simple things. Family worship, meaning I gather the kids. I I hate, I, I like something, there's something in my soul that's like, don't do it. It's hard. It's hard to gather the kids, read a little Bible and pray. Why? It doesn't even take long. 
Once we get going, they even carry the conversation longer to where they're almost mad at each other for making more conversation. They're making it take longer. Don't ask a real question. Save it for your own time with dad and mom. We know to do it. We just have a hard time doing it. Is it okay if I tell on myself? And then the other thing is just one-on-one conversations with each kid. It's not religious conversations either. It's just, I love you. You're important to me. You make me happy. It makes me smile to see you, Israel. You make me, you, you bring joy to my heart. You walk into the house, I instantly get happy to see you. Those are, that's the truth. Those are the two things, right? It's not even, okay, let's move on. That's the first verse that stood out to me from 3 John as a little gold nugget. We have no greater joy than to know our children walk in truth. Not just our biological children, but our spiritual, those we are responsible for spiritually as well. Second one, second verse that stands out to me. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is of God. Whoever does evil hasn't seen God. So how many of you, you can admit it in church. How many of you watch TikTok? Okay, some. No, I feel like some of you are watching it and not raising your hand. Some of you watch YouTube? Facebook? Some of you ever gone onto Twitter and then immediately got off screaming? Yeah. But you watch videos of some kind. The other day I was watching a video and this lady was like, well, I came to faith first and my husband, I, you know, I, I, was, my, I was working on him for years. He now came and now my husband believes in Jesus. And she says, he's a good Christian. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't get drunk. He doesn't scream in fits of rage at people who cut him off in traffic. I, on the other hand, do all those things. And then she proceeded to tell a story where she did get cut off in traffic and she went ahead and just screamed and cussed on the video. Yeah. And it was the kind of stuff that if it was a non-Christian, I'd be like, nope, and I would just skip by. Be like, no, thank you. Not, Not for me. But she was saying, the video was under the, under the announcing, it's so awesome, my husband's a Christian, but, but we're both going to heaven. He'll just have more crowns than me because I'm naughty. And this is what she said, JC still loves me though. JC still loves me. I turned the video off. I clicked dislike first, then turned the video off. No, other way around. I clicked pause in the middle of her cussing and I clicked dislike. That's a real jacked up situation. If she were in our church and she posted that, I would have had a private conversation with her already, asked her to, to delete the thing, and hopefully with gentleness, with humility, with kindness, and with a whole lot of affection, I would have asked her to live in such a way that she's taking better care of Jesus' heart, Amen. taking better care of Jesus' heart, and not living in such a way publicly that shows that she doesn't really care about Jesus' feelings or opinions. JC still loves me. Of course he still loves you. Of course he still loves you. But grace isn't a license to sin. It's the affection for God for those of us who are imperfect. Yeah, but Tim, are you saying you have never lost your temper and cuss? I'm not even saying that, but I'm saying if you see me do it, I hope you love me enough to confront me on it. Because that was another thing she said was her husband is just such a sweetheart that when she goes on her little cussing rants and she's misbehaving, he doesn't judge her. Friend, I hope if you see me sin, you pray for me, number one. And then if it's a pattern, 
you then take loving action and have a direct conversation with me. Because it's time, it's, it, it, it's not our job to judge those outside the church, scripture says, so plainly and so clearly. It's not our job to judge those outside the church, but we in the church are called to walk in holiness. In fact, Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Oh yeah, but, but I feel like what you're saying, you're gonna turn people into legalists. No, 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 no. Grace provokes love for Jesus. Grace creates a transformed life. Because we are loved in our imperfection, we then grow in our desire to please the Lord and get the stuff out of our life that is robbing us of joy. So I actually have done that before. I actually have asked members to remove social media posts that were mean, rude, and uh, of a political nature, usually. Usually politics becomes our excuse to behave in an unchristian way. But it could be a lot of things that causes us to, to behave in an unchristian way. And uh, anyway, you know, one time somebody met with me and said, Tim, you, your language needs to change because you're a fantastic son of the Lord. You, you have a lot of benefit to bring people. But if you keep talking this way, if you keep using this kind of language, it's going to limit who's able to receive grace from you. Because you're not representing, you're not walking in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. And what he said was not, there was no shame on it. There was no, in fact, my conscience already knew he was right before he started. And, and immediately when he confronted me, I was, I was about to give him the, I know it's so hard. I agree, with your, I, I agree with your rebuke and I've tried to change. I've been trying to change for 10 years and I haven't been able to. I, and, you know, one thing you can do is hide behind grace as a, as a shield against what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you. That's not helpful. Another thing you can do is what I was doing was, I agree with you, but I can't, but I can't. As soon as I was about to say, I've tried and I can't. Your rebuke matches what I've been praying for for 10 years and I haven't seen change. As soon as I was about to say it, I realized that's called unbelief. I didn't believe that the grace was here for me to walk in. I had more faith in my weakness than in God's power. And all he said was, he drove hours, by the way, to have this conversation with me. He, want, he was willing to drive all the way to Delaware to have this conversation with me, but I met him in Columbus, Ohio. And he said, I'm, I'm asking you just to look at what the New Testament says about speech and language. Not my opinions, what the New Testament says about speech and language. And he said, and I believe the Lord's going to begin to talk to you. And the Lord's going to begin to build something in you. And God's going to say it to you in a way that I can't possibly say it to you. I felt so loved. I felt so cared for. In fact, I've rarely felt that rebuke made me feel so fathered, so believed in, so trusted. He knew I wasn't going to react in anger. He knew I wasn't going to get defensive. He, he completely believes in me so much that he knows my heart. He knows my deepest heart is to please and honor Jesus in everything. And he took the time to take me aside and say, Holy Ghost is going to build something in you here because here's a weak spot in your building that I can see that you clearly have given up on trying. And his faith built my faith. Guys, it was like an overnight transformation. Am I saying I never screw up? No, you guys know me and you know that I do. But it was like a night and day transformation. All right, okay. And this verse that we just read, it basically says, guys, if you, if, you, if you know God, you're intimately connected with God, the nature of God will flow out of you. You can't let that be. You can't say, you know, I agree with the right doctrine about Jesus' death, therefore I can do what I want, and he, JC still loves me. 
Of course he loves you. That's so messed. There's something just so messed up in that thing. That's enough. Okay, that's, that's gold nugget number two. Gold nugget number three. Well, there's a separate talk that I want to give one day called The Double Cure, where we talk about justification. The gospel has justification. I'm forgiven. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm pure in his sight. That's outside of me, right? That's, that's not my being transformed. That's I have, a, I have a legal adoption papers. I'm in. Justification. And then the other side of, the, of, the, of what the cross accomplishes, which is my nature is transformed. I now love what I didn't love before. I now want what I didn't want before. I now hate what I didn't hate before. I'm a new creature on the inside. And both of those, justification and sanctification, are always intimately connected and never pulled apart in biblical Christianity. But, but the reality is, is an, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, there are dangers, there are pitfalls. On the one side, there's the pitfall of legalism, where we, we're earning and striving and finding our identity not in Jesus' righteousness, but what we do for him. And then on the other hand is licentiousness, right? Where you're like using the grace of God as a license not to change. And both of those are unhelpful pitfalls, but the gospel keeps genuine transformation and love for Jesus and complete total legal forgiveness for those of us who are in the process. Because we're in a process. That's a different sermon. I just thought I'd mention that. Third little gold nugget. And this one is the one I want to take, uh, well, I was going to say, take a little more time on, but each of these are little mini. These are mini donuts. The calories don't count. You can eat a whole bag. It won't, it won't make you big. Third gold nugget. I have much more to say to you but I don't want to write it with pen and ink for I hope to see you soon and then we will talk face to face. There was a time when the, ad, the most advanced technology for communication on the planet was writing. There was a time when they would chisel letters into a plaque of stone in public and it was like the video billboard of their time that was the most advanced technology is writing then we had this thing where we would write something and hire these other people to hand copy it so you could get the same message to different groups of people crazy advanced technology then the printing press became invented. Total transformation. Now it's no longer hand copies, but it's whole blocks of letters prearranged and just press, press, press. We made 400 copies of page 62 today. Tomorrow we're going to do page 63. And then you get hundreds of copies. So there's handwriting, used to be the most advanced. Then the printing press. Then... You guys don't remember this, at least you don't remember this being a useful tool, but the telegraph. We got a wire going from here to there, and we get a little thing that clicks. So how are we going to do this? We got to figure out, let's make up a, a new language called Morse code. 
And I, all I hear is rhythms. Anyway. That was the most advanced technology. That's how you get a message from New York to Los Angeles right now. Amazing. One little letter at a time. Then the telephone becomes a thing. Now that's, that's magic. Your voice, your actual voice. I remember this telephone. I remember being on the telephone for literal hours, sitting in the doorway of my bedroom with the, with the telephone line draped under the closed door for privacy because the, the phone was outside of my room in the hallway. You remember them really long telephone cords that were curled up and you all figured out how long you could pull them? And then you'd sit there and talk to your beloved and you'd almost, you'd fall asleep on the phone talking about nothing. You remember that? It was the next best thing to be in there. And you, Evelina, do you remember the ones you take the phone on a journey? Oh, you're talking about when you had to pick up the phone and ask, is this a private line? Because the whole row of, of homes on that street were in the same number and you had an actual operator, you'd press zero and talk to him. That's before my time where you had to talk, you press zero and talk to an operator. I'm trying to reach James. Who? James. What's his last name? I don't know. He lives right down there. And so you used to have to ask, is this a private line? Because you were going to discuss CIA top secret stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone? Anyone? You had a little, little audio thing in your shoe and never mind that last part. Then, then the radio came out, guys. The radio. Oh, my word. No wires. There were like three stations, and whatever they played, that was the music you thought of as good music. How crazy is that? The news, their news. There was like one or two channels. I'm Walter Cronkite. And, and what they said, you thought it was true. Remember those times when you believed the news? Just, just saying. Hide. Run and hide. Now, now then the internet came out. Stonking. Ping, 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 ping. This is from my childhood. Like, and you were like, wow, I was able to download that photograph after 45 seconds line by line. <laughs> and then the internet got in your pocket. Because we had cell phones after radio. Cell phones are basically radio, but digitized. Then they, and none of us would use the browser back in the day. Use the browser, what are you nuts? I'm going to the computer to use the, to the, to use the internet. You were texting still with the physical buttons, the T9 system. Austin Embleton was so good at that. He goes, I can do it without looking one-handed. I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, check your phone. And I look down and he's like, see? And I'm like, what? He never even broke eye contact. You know, actually it was a longer sentence than that. So then the, so, okay, handwriting, print, telegraph, telephone, radio, then TV, then internet. Now the internet is in your pocket and you can literally video call your, your friend in Thailand right now. Maybe that doesn't blow your mind anymore because humans get used to stuff immediately as soon as it comes out and then we're entitled to it. Yeah. 
FaceTime sure beats email. But face-to-face is still best. And you know what's really weird? Handwritten letters are sometimes even better than face-to-face. Like if I write my wife a letter for our anniversary and then I hold her hands and look in her eyes, both are great, but the letter I wrote captures truths in my heart more eloquently than I know how to say sometimes. So, so, I, so if I had to rank, you know, means of communication by intimacy, it, it would actually be hard for me to know how to rank it. I mean, in just a little bit, I'm going to get to that. There's a guy named Albert Morabian, who's a professor of psychology at the University of California. And he was trying to understand how much of our communication is verbal and how much of our communication is nonverbal. It's a good question, right? So if all you have is a typed up record of what somebody said, did you really hear what they said? So he did this study where people, where he tried to figure out what percentage of whether people like and trust you comes from the content of your words or from your physical manner and your vocal inflections. Maybe even your accent. How much percentage do you think of what makes somebody like you, dislike you, trust you, not trust you comes from your content and what comes from other things? This is what he came up with based on all these little groups of people that he had do these little interviews. He said 7% has to do with the words we say. So why do I spend all week working on sermons? <laughs> okay. He said 38% of trust and affability comes from tone, pitch, speed. And 55% comes from body language. Well, that's so interesting. Now, notice he didn't say that 55% of communication is body language. No, what he's saying is 55% of what I'm looking for to see if I like you and trust you is body language. Now, if I dislike somebody, I probably also don't care what they're saying. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Okay. When that submarine imploded a few months back, You might remember that, the Titanic exploring submarine? There was a Coast Guard, the guy who was the head of the Coast Guard, gave a speech explaining what they think happened. And I took a pen and a piece of paper and I started writing down every time he said, um, or uh. He said more ums and uhs than other words. And I I lost track and I finally was like, just should have come out and read a statement off a page. Because the ums and the uhs distracted me completely from his, they made me think he wasn't a credible person, which is not true. I'm sure he's a credible person and a professional and great at his job. But that's me experiencing this thing of nonverbal and physical communication influencing me more than the content of what you're saying. I always thought it was weird that President Obama said uh and um so much. That's not meant to be harsh. It's just an observation. that If I was the President of the United States, I'd work on my speech skills. That was too harsh. All right. 
Now, Paul actually said, I'm a better writer than I am a speaker. Do you remember that? When he said, you guys say that in my, you guys say that in my writings, I'm like impressive. Whoa, it's powerful. Whoa. But in person, I just kind of quiet and I, I don't dominate the room. And he, but this is what he says. Okay, I might not be a powerful speaker, but I, but I walk in the power and the authority of Jesus. Amen. In my actions, I'm powerful, even if my little speeches aren't as powerful. So I'm just intrigued. Mode of communication. John says, I have a lot more I'd like to say to you, but I'm not going to write it because I really want to look you in the eyes. I really want this to be a, a moment we're sharing, not just information I'm transmitting. So I made up this list. And if I could, I, I was thinking this would be better. I wish I could give you a, a series of like big Lego pieces with the words on them and then have you arrange them in order of what you think is most intimate. But here's my nine things I wrote down. Email, texts, direct messages, handwritten mail, phone call, video call, public lecture you attend, group conversation, face-to-face one-on-one talk, and then this one, physical touch plus eye contact at proximity. And if I asked you to rank these by level of intimacy, yours might be different than mine, but I guarantee you they are not all the same to you. The more important the communication is, the higher up the ladder we should try to go. Over and over I've found that if a conflict starts via text message, it will probably be resolved quickly as soon as I pick up my phone and have a, a voice conversation. Not always. Sometimes we're very upset. But text is how fights get started. Face-to-face and voice is how they tend to die down because I can hear your feelings. I can hear how my words are affecting your feelings. You can hear my inflections You don't hear me yelling at you when I'm not yelling at you, but when I'm texting you, you're like, oh, he's so self-righteous and critical. He's so cold and unfeeling. Actually, my wife said that to me in person, so (laughs) maybe there is something there. But anytime the communication is more important, let's let's intentionally do what John is trying to say here. I have so much I want to say to you, but I'm going to wait till we're face-to-face. Notice the the dude who was willing to travel all the way from Ohio to Delaware to bring a word of correction to me. He didn't want to do it via a letter, an email. He could have easily done it on the phone, but he wanted me to see his face. He wanted me to feel his love. The nonverbals he knew were so significant. He did not, he, he knew I matter. My feelings matter. In fact, my feelings matter so much that he was not willing to hurt me more than he needed to. He was okay with the truth hurting me, but not in the wrong ways. But I also want to say, you know, Paul did hard pastoral work via letters. Most of his letters were not written in times of peace. They were written to churches in trouble. Galatians, they're trying to throw away grace. Colossians, they're trying to intermingle weird angelic worship stuff. And 1 Corinthians, they're like, oh, we can do what we want in a whole bunch of different ways. And he wrote letters. But he'd have preferred to have been there. So I try to remember that too. 
All right, those are the, fir- those are the three little nuggets from, from my reading of, of 3 John this week. Number one was there's no greater joy than to know our children are walking in the truth. The second one was those who walk in ungodliness haven't seen God. That the more we n- truly know God, the more we walk in a manner that's worthy of, of the calling we have. And then the third one is, I prefer to say it to you face to face. Just some stuff to think about. Let's pray. Prayer team can come on up, by the way. Abba, we thank you for the little tidbits of verses that shine a light on our path. I ask for your grace in this house. I ask for your grace in this house. We do ask that you would teach us who are parents and those of us who are spiritual caregivers for others how to not just long for, but to enact actions consistent with cooperating with your grace in our friends' lives and our kids' lives. In Jesus' name. God, we also ask that we would be smack dab right on the gospel, not legalism and not lawlessness, but transformation with intimacy, freedom and power, the actual grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, that causes our hearts and souls to be thrilled in the freedom of your love. And God, I ask that you'd give us wisdom to know how the mode of communication is often the most important thing, more important even than what we're saying is What means did we use to communicate it? Help us to pick the right means of communication to be the most benefit to the person we're talking to. Pour out your spirit on us today. Bless us, God. We love you. We honor you. What do you guys got? Jacob was talking about laying stuff at the feet of Jesus this morning. So if there's anybody in here that, that really needs to lay something at the feet of Jesus, I want to pray for that. And I got an ear and neck. What you got, Carl? Nothing. I'm fine. Well, then what's the hand gesture mean? Stay that way. <laughs> that was a situation in which your clear communication was misunderstood by me. All right, bless you guys. You are dismissed.